thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Was the arrest of a Hamilton man who suffered a seizure inappropriate? Hamilton's one-day shopping frenzy is making a comeback. Why do people cheat? We preview the Blue Jays' wildcard playoff series. Believe it or not, the CD has turned the big 4-0 and find out what Illumi is all about. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. A Hamilton man who was tasered by police while in the midst of an epileptic seizure says he wants to make sure it never happens to anyone else. Paramedics had been called to help deal with the 27-year-old employee of the Canadian Tire Store on Main Street East on Sunday. He was having a seizure. I was walking away. I was all in my own little zone. I, I kept walking away from people and stopped mumbling, doing my own little thing. By the time it was over, Marcus Charles had been tasered and charged with assaulting an officer and a paramedic. And his partner, Chantel Chevrier, says police should never have been called. I think they weren't trained properly to deal with seizures in this situation. I feel like cops shouldn't be called into a medical distress situation. They never handle it properly. The owner of the Canadian Tire Store says Charles is well-liked, he's non-violent, and welcome to return to work when he's well enough to do so. The situation begs the question, what is the protocol for dealing with patients with epilepsy or or those who are violent? Mario Pastorero is the president of Opsi Local 256 with our local paramedics and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mario, good morning. Let's start with the paramedic training aspect of it. When it comes to people who have seizures, what, what is the protocol? Well, first off, there's, there's policies in place with the city of Hamilton, uh, actually zero tolerance policies against verbal and physical violence against our medics. So um, in, in this particular circumstance, even though the call came in as a medical call, it devolved into something else. And in EMS, we're, you know, we're, we're, tasked with making multiple critical decisions rapidly and simultaneously. So obviously this call evolved, unfortunately, in a manner that um, resulted in, in, in somewhat of a negative outcome for Mr. Charles. However, the paramedics in this case exercised excellent professional judgment in removing themselves from possible danger and activating what we call the 10-2000 in order to summon immediate police assistance. That's what occurred in this event, and unfortunately, as I said, Mr. Charles uh, suffered to whatever degree he did um, as a result of a number of circumstances. Uh, our medics are trained to deal with all sorts of medical emergencies, including seizures. However, their personal safety is of paramount importance, and in this case, as I said, they saw it fit to remove themselves from this combative situation and some of the assistance of police, which which we appreciate on an ongoing basis. That's our policy. The policy was followed. When it come, I want to dig down deep into this. When it comes to that, uh, you know, a patient becoming violent, what does the rule book say? Is it is it an automatic call or are there different levels of violence? When are police called in? Well, these are judgment calls that are made by the paramedics who are trained to assess and determine whether that level of combativeness, volatility, aggression warrants a call to see to have police assist. In, in this case, and keep in mind, this case is obviously going to be before the courts, the criminal courts, and probably the civil courts. So I only want to speak in general terms. The, the finite details I'm going to avoid for obvious reasons. Yeah. But uh, the medics acted 
professionally and exercise their judgment in removing themselves from the danger they deem to be a dangerous circumstance and summon the assistance of police. At that point in time, police arrived and made their decisions as to how to deal with Mr. Charles, given what they were faced with. And, you know, we, we can look at circumstances in hindsight. Everybody can can uh, uh, weigh in as to what should have happened. They responded in a manner that they thought was appropriate. And, you know, my understanding is police have significant training and policies in place pertaining to the inappropriate use of, uh, of, of a taser, a conducted energy weapon, as it's called. And there's legal consequences. The civil, criminal, and administrative consequences in light of them using that device inappropriately. That'll be for somebody else to decide. Um, in this case, our medics acted responsibly and professionally and summoned the, the assistance of police as they ought to have done. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Mario Pastorero, the president of OPSU Local 256, uh, in charge of uh, local paramedics who are out and about and uh, keeping our community uh, as, as healthy as possible. When it comes to violence against paramedics or when paramedics are faced with a a, a patient who becomes violent, is, is this a common occurrence in Hamilton? Our paramedics respond to approximately 90,000 calls for assistance annually. That's 90,000. We are faced with the full gamut of unpredictable circumstances, often combative. We deal with patients and family members at their worst. Are we subjected to a degree of violence, verbal and physical? Absolutely. Often. Thus, the policy being in place, we now have a zero tolerance for any level of violence leveled against our, me- our medics. And the, the most important thing is for us to remove ourselves from that environment so we are not injured. Um, policies are in place for a reason. In this particular case, it was followed. And, and again, um, the police responded rapidly, uh, given that they were summoned by our medics on the scene through what we call a 10 uh, which requires immediate uh, police assistance. Uh, we only got about a minute. How often, of those 90,000 times that you're, you're out there, how often are police called in to help? I, I don't have, you know, accurate data, but I would say it's out of 90,000, it's often enough that uh, the policy is well entrenched and we counsel our medics to uh, keep themselves safe, first and foremost remove themselves from any environment where they believe there's a threat, any form of threat to their well-being. Uh, and that's um, part of our ongoing training. In this particular case, the paramedics exercise excellent professional judgment and remove themselves from possible danger and activated the, summoned the assistance of police which arrived within short order. And then obviously the, the, the event ensued as we're all aware of and again, I'm sure this this case will be before the courts, uh, both criminal and civil, and it will be dealt with in that regard. And hopefully there's some uh, some learning points that come from it. But, but again, our medics done what they could to provide medical assistance, which they did, and then the call evolved to something different, and they required the assistance of police, which responded in short order. Mario, I really appreciate your insight into this. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. That is Mario Pastorero. He is the president of OPSU Local 256 in charge of those paramedics who are in our community as we speak.
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton Day is making a comeback. You're probably thinking, Hamilton Day, that sounds familiar. It's a one-day shopping extravaganza to support small and local businesses. That's going to be held next month. Here to talk about it is Greg Dunnett. He's the president of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. Greg, good morning. How are you? How you this morning? I'm good. Thanks for coming on the air with us to talk about Hamilton Day. Now, it came back last year. It's back this year. Why bring it back? Yes, it's a, it's a great question. So, yes, it will be held this year on Saturday, November 5th. Um, and it's actually it's a, it's an event with a, a unique uh, a backstory. Um, in 1931, during the height of the Great Depression, um, the local Chamber of Commerce, the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, uh, hosted a Hamilton Day to boost spirits and lift the local economy. And it became, became kind of a rallying spirit of uh, what the community can do to help businesses survive and thrive. And so last year, the Chamber team brought it back and had great participation across the city with over 700 businesses participating and to help us in our recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. We had such an incredible response from the community from our local businesses, from our partners that we, we, we looked at it at the chamber and, and we decided that, you know, this is something that we should do not just in 2022, but going forward to celebrate all of our great unique and local small businesses and, and make it an annual part of the great community we live in. So what's in it for consumers? Are local businesses going to be offering big deals on November 5th? No, I think it's, 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 it's a good question, Rick. And I think what it is, is it's a very much an event that helps. It is about getting out and engaging with your community, supporting those businesses that make our communities and neighborhoods vibrant. Now, there are going to be great uh, aspects of this. You're going to have some deals and you're going to have limited release products. Uh, some stores are going to have additional pop-ups. Um, and the, the scope of the event is continuing to expand and will continue to expand as we go forward. But you're going to have markets participating and new activations and activities going on around the city. Um, so consumers can get out. They can, they can, you know, enjoy their local neighborhood. I mean, if I, it's funny, as I was thinking about this interview today, I was thinking about all the businesses that I participate in on a, on a Saturday generally, right? I will, go down to Domestique or Detour in Dundas and grab a coffee. We'll stop in and get some fresh baked goods at the Village Bakery. I'll go get my son's skate sharpened at Titans or drop my suits off for dry cleaning at Crystal Coin Laundry. And, you know, often on a Saturday afternoon, I'm going to go to Shed Brewing or the Thirsty Cactus or the Collins and grab a drink with a friend. And when you put all those together in that community engagement, you're going to run into your, your fellow friends and you're going to support growing our local economy and that's an incredibly important thing right now so you put all those things together you're going to get some deals but you're also going to just have a a great day and you're going to help uh our local community thrive so i don't think you can ask for much more than that sounds like a fun saturday and it's going to happen on november the 5th it's called hamilton day you can get all the information online at hamiltonday.ca greg dunnett is the president of the hamilton chamber of commerce and joining us on good morning hamilton on 900 chml i also see on the website there's a call out to out-of-town shoppers hey everyone's welcome to come to hamilton to spend their money and support local biz Exactly. And I think, you know, we, I touched on it there, you know, we had over 700 businesses participate last year. We're looking for over a thousand businesses to participate this year. We're working in partnerships with many of the local BIAs, 
our part, great partners at City of Hamilton and Economic Development, and we're working with Metrolink to you know to create transportation options to get people into the community and and to support local. And I think Rick, the other thing is you know there are a lot of good reasons to shop local. It's a better and more personalized shopping experience. It does boost our local economy and it shapes our community identity. I mean, all all those organizations I just mentioned in Dundas are mainstays for so many of us, and it's also environmentally friendly. So I think it's it's a fantastic way to enjoy our community and and for people to come in and, and get to feel who are from out of town to come in and see all the great things that are going on in Hamilton that you know those of us who live in Hamilton every day know but maybe they need to get in here and just see all the unique and interesting businesses that have continued to thrive uh, as, as we've grown as a community here in Hamilton. It's uh, it's a great idea. It's called Hamilton Day, coming back on Saturday, November the 5th. All the details online at hamiltonday.ca. Greg, appreciate the time today. Thanks, Rick. Really appreciate you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out on Saturday, November 5th. Absolutely. Greg Dunnett, President of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Why do people cheat? You know, whether it's infidelity, whether it's, I don't know, cheating at chess, there's been some news about that. Why do we do it? There, th- this year, for some reason, there's been a number of stories about people cheating. You've probably heard about Adam Levine of Maroon 5. Cheater. Ned Fulmer of the Try Guys. He's out. He, he cheated. There's also cheating in competitive fishing and in the chess world. Ned Fulmer is no longer working with the Try Guys. By now, we're assuming you've seen the Reddit threads and TikToks and tweets and news articles. We want to give you a timeline of what's transpired and some transparency into our decision-making. One of the Try Guys, after booting Ned Fulmer from the pack after allegations of infidelity cropped up. So why do people cheat? Well, the definition of cheating is acting dishonestly or unfairly in order to gain an advantage, especially in a game or examination or in a relationship. Kayleen Edwards is a registered psychotherapist from Roots in Wellness and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Kayleen, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. The million-dollar question, why do we cheat? <laughs> and I don't know. People may or may not like the answer I have. I think it's as anything with humans do, it's very, very difficult to hone it down to one thing. I think there's so many things that contribute, and probably the easiest way to simplify it would be just to say that Perhaps the person who has cheated has some kind of need that's not being met, whether that's a communication need, if we're talking about the state of relationships or validation needs in terms of feeling seen or respected or, um, you know, in the case of people who do it for financial gains in terms of how they're seen financially, that can be a reason. Um, And in some cases, I think there's, we're changing the way we look at it as well in terms of it's it's becoming more widely known, uh, things like ethical monogamy and polyamory, where people actually consent to be in these kind of relationships, there's multiple people there. So it's really not one simple answer, I don't think. Uh, aside from the relationship part of it, and you, there might also be the same feeling here, but I recall I, I cheated once on a math test in high school, and I got <laughs> such a feeling of it was excitement and dread, and it was really like an adrenaline rush. The endorphins were going nuts. Is that a factor in all this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As humans, we do things to sometimes like animals do, right? To seek that sort of stimulation, to seek some of those feelings of um, it can make people feel more alive or more excited or infuse something in their lives that hasn't been there before. 
I want to apologize to my grade 7 math teacher for doing so all those years ago. Uh, I got away with it, but I'm still bad at math. Speaking of getting away with it, is that, is that also a, a part of this? Like, if I can get ahead and get away with it, uh, like, this is going to be good. Yeah, I think I think there's that. I think when people go into it, most people think that they are going to get away with it and that it won't get found out. Um, but usually what happens, as we know, is is something comes to light. It's very difficult to keep something like that going under wraps without it being discovered at some point or another. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Kayleen Edwards, a registered psychotherapist at Roots in Wellness. We're talking about cheating. Do more men or more women cheat? And not necessarily just in relationships, just cheating overall. Is there any anecdotal or statistical information to back either of those up? Anecdotally, statistically, I haven't looked into it. Anecdotally, from my practice, uh, it, it honestly seems to be half and half from what I've observed. Um, it, it really doesn't seem to be just one or the other, but I think certainly there's a lot of, I think in a lot of cases, there's a lot more blame placed on women who do it. And I think a lot of time blame is unfairly assigned to a mistress. I think, you know, in any of these situations, people are sort of, um, demonized for doing this practice. And, you know, the way I try to see it as a therapist is that these people are humans and at the end of the day, humans do human things. (laughs) And this is just, you know, kind of one of the things that humans do. Do cheaters likely cheat again? Is there a pattern? Is there some underlying factor that they're likely going to go back to the well? Uh, I would say yes, but I think it also depends how the cheating is received. So in some cases, if they are able to have their experience validated, if they are able to have bids for reconnection, if they do things like seek therapy and seek help for it to be able to figure out why they did it, I think it's less likely to occur. But if the things are never addressed, then unfortunately, I do believe there's a high likelihood it would happen again. The other part of this is everyone around the cheating scenario. And we, for some reason, and and you probably know more than I do, that's for sure. Why do we love reading or learning about someone who is cheating or has cheated? Do we just love the drama? And is that healthy? I mean, I think we could probably agree it's not healthy. I think as humans, like we said before, humans love stimulation. Humans love things that get our heartbeat racing faster, that are shocking or surprising. Uh, We definitely seek that out. I think it's not healthy in terms of this is someone's legitimate experience. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in this experience for both people, both the quote unquote cheater and the person who's been cheated on. And I think in the ways that we somehow let dramatize it or glorify it, uh, do that person a disservice knowing that, you know, both of these people are experiencing pain, not that I'm condoning it, but there's pain involved on both sides. And um, by making it a dramatic thing, we're kind of dehumanizing that really real and legitimate experience. Wonderful conversation into the world of cheating with Kayleen Edwards, registered psychotherapist with Roots in Wellness. Kayleen, thanks for the time this morning. Have a great day. Thank you so much. I appreciate you too. That is Kayleen Edwards with Roots in Wellness. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We love playoff baseball in this country. We only got one team left, like the Expos, long gone. So it's okay, Blue Jays. And hopefully, just hopefully, we hear a little more of this. Swinging a long fly ball. Deep left field. That's a no doubter. Second deck for Whit Merrifield. Well, that guy's red hot. 
Uh, well, the commentator and the baseball player, thanks to the Fan 590 for the audio. Blue Jays going to host the Seattle Mariners in the American League wildcard playoffs starting tomorrow at Rogers Center. First pitch, 4.07. They'll play Game 2 of this best of three Saturday at 4.07. Game 3 on Sunday, of course. TBD on the start time. But it should be a great series. Julia Kreutz is a reporter with MLB.com and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Julia, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Blue Jays are coming in hot. They're playing well coming down the stretch. Indeed. We know that it has been a season with a lot of ups and downs, but it does seem like things are clicking for the Blue Jays. And this is really when it matters, right, Rick? So we are seeing some good pitching. Alec Manoa will take the ball in game one for the Blue Jays. And really, I can't think of a better guy to start that game. And if uh, if the, the bats keep going the way that they have been in September, then the Blue Jays are in for a very fun postseason. Yeah, you talk about coming in hot. Alec Manoa has been pretty hot all season long. Yeah, Alec Manoa has been, I, honestly, I do think that he will receive at least some Cy Young Award votes this year. Don't think he, he, he will win it just because it has been a really, really tight race we know that pitching has been pretty exceptional this year when you look at offense numbers across baseball. So there are several candidates here, but Manoa, when you think of it as his first full MLB season and the fact that he's a sophomore, he's 24 years old, and the way that he has carried himself, himself this year, uh, you know, pitching when he had a stomach bug, for example, there were so many of those staple moments that have endeared Manoa to this fan base and really, you know, made him one of the best starters in Major League Baseball. It's uh, it's 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 re- it's going to be really fun to watch him pitch tomorrow. Blue Jays won 92 games this season. The Mariners won 90. Um, the Jays really good at home. They've won 47 of their games. Both teams have won seven of the last 10 coming into the playoffs. Uh, how does Toronto stack up against Seattle and vice versa? Yeah, that is, uh, that is the, the million-dollar question, I would say, at, at this point. Uh, the Mariners did have a winning record against the Blue Jays in the regular season. But as we all know, it doesn't really matter when October starts. And with the Blue Jays playing this series at home, it does give them an edge there. On paper, the Blue Jays seem to be a little bit more talented than the Mariners are, especially in the lineup. When you look at guys like George Springer, who is a former World Series MVP, and Teoscar Hernandez, who's a two-time silver slugger. And then you have guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, who is hitting absolutely everything since the start of September. The, uh, the lineup is, uh, is scary for any opposing team to face. And, and when it comes to pitching, maybe the Mariners do have an edge there. The Mariners have had one of the best bullpens in Major League Baseball this year. And the Blue Jays, we all know uh, the, the inconsistencies that have sort of plagued their bullpen. As for starting pitching, I would say that they're pretty evenly matched. And uh, if a game three comes to be, I would, I would think that we'll see Robbie Ray on the mound for the Mariners. And that should be, you know, a little bit of a treat for Blue Jays fans as uh, Ray obviously won the Cy Young with 
with Toronto last year. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Julia Kreutz, reporter with MLB.com, as we discuss the Blue Jays and the American League Playoff wildcard series that will launch tomorrow afternoon at 4.07 at Rogers Centre as the Jays will host this best of three uh, at Rogers Centre. Does home field mean much in the wildcard round? I would say so. First of all, both teams are coming out of a, a very long 162-game season. The Blue Jays played a doubleheader in the final uh, day of the season, and it's a pretty long trip from Toronto to Seattle or vice versa. So that is a, a very clear advantage right off the bat, is that you can get to come home, you get to be in your own space, and uh, really settle into this three-game series, whereas the Mariners are you know they have a pretty long trip to, to Toronto so that is one very clear advantage and then obviously we know that the atmosphere does play a big factor into this it's no coincidence that Blue Jays manager or interim manager John Schneider was very adamant about securing home field advantage uh, because these players are used to playing here because the fan base honestly deserves this after so many years of you know Blue Jays played almost two years on the road right during the pandemic they were in the postseason but like Bo Bichette said there was no atmosphere in 2020 in that uh, pandemic shortened year so there's there's a lot that plays to the Blue Jays favor simply because they are Rogers Center it's gonna be a lot of fun Julia really appreciate your time this morning enjoy the series Absolutely. Will do. Thank you. Julia Kreutz is a reporter with MLB.com. Blue Jays, Mariners, tomorrow, 4.07 p.m. First pitch at Rogers Center. The winner of this best of three will take on the Houston Astros in the next round. The winner of the Tampa Bay-Cleveland series will go up against the Yankees. In the National League, it's Dodgers and Braves with the first round by. The Mets will face the Padres, the Phillies against the Cardinals. There's your MLB playoff picture. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The compact disc, yes, the good old CD, celebrated its 40th birthday, believe it or not. Boy, do I ever feel old. 40 years ago, the CD burst onto the scene. What impact did it have? Is it still going strong? Let's ask our expert. Alan Cross is the host of the ongoing History of New Music and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Alan, good morning. Good morning, yes. My gosh, the big 4-0. Where's the time gone? Well, let's, let's sort of work this backward a little bit. It was on October 1st, 1982, that the compact disc was first unveiled. It wasn't put on sale in Japan until December, and we didn't get it until uh, March of 1983. So there's a couple of steps here. There, there had been some demonstrations in, in the summer of 1982, but it was uh, the full unveiling on October 1st. And what was rather interesting is that at the beginning, nobody wanted this thing. Nobody wanted to spend more money on a new uh, format at a time when the music industry was in deep recession. Sales had actually gone down year over year for the first time since the Great Depression. There was uh, the post-disco hangover. The whole world was having a, a terrible recession. You might remember back in the early 80s with interest rates around 20%. So uh, nobody really wanted these things. And it took a consortium of people working with both Sony and Philips to, to make this thing happen. And uh, it was interesting, too, that, that even, even though Sony was a co-developer of the compact disc, 
CBS Records, which is owned by Sony, didn't want to use the compact disc. <laughs> but um, it, it, it finally worked its way through. People understood after, uh, you know, there, there were lots of, of promotional things, you know, free players and free discs were given to radio stations. Stereo stores had these demonstrations. And with, over the next couple of years, once more discs became available, once the price of players came down a little bit, uh, people started to understand how much better the CD was than the vinyl at the time. And what we have to understand is that vinyl in the late 70s and early 80s, the quality of the, the material of the polyvinyl chloride that was going into the records was terrible. Because back in 74, we had the oil uh, oil crisis. Yeah. And polyvinyl chloride is a petroleum byproduct. And all of a sudden, this vinyl became more expensive. So people started to use, manufacturers started to use recycled vinyl, which had all kinds of impurities. And, and they, they made the records thinner, and they scratched easy, and they didn't sound very good. They had a lot of surface noise. We couldn't wait to get rid of vinyl because it was so terrible. And uh, once the CD caught on, uh, the industry you know, ran things out for about 15, 16 years, making more money than they ever thought possible. Did the CD change or have some impact on the way we consumed music? Uh, yeah. One of the big things, as far as I'm concerned, is that it had a skip button. And, you know, with, with old vinyl, if you wanted to skip a song on a record, you had to get up, walk across the room, move the tone arm. If you had a cassette, you had to fast forward and find the beginning of the next song. With the CD player and its remote, if a song came on you could that you didn't want to hear, you could just skip it. And this is a pre-save, this is a, a harbinger of what we have today with, with short attention spans and the skip button on streaming music services. So I think that was one of the really big things. It conditioned us to skip songs rather than maybe endure them and then maybe eventually learn to like that song uh, as a result of repeated exposure. So it's really the genesis of our current impatience. Uh, I, I believe so, yes. <laughs> yeah. Was was the original push to implement the CD, was it more a manufacturing thing, or was it music producers to say, hey, we need we need a better format? Well, there was a couple of things. Uh, the optical drives, which is what the uh, CD was is based on, uh, they, started, they started working on those in the 1960s. And uh, there was this idea back in the, in, in the 70s that you wanted... The, the most important thing was clean, clear, pristine, digital, uh, uh, distortion-free sound. And uh, the idea was that this, this new technology that involved, playing a la- involved using a laser was going to give it to us. And it was just the next evolution. Remember, the, the rotating disc uh, was technology that went back to about 1900. So, you know, it was, it was 80 years old. By the time people really started to hear about these things, it was time for something new. And and that was part of the push. And, of course, you could sell these things for more with a greater margin, and it just made a lot of sense to an awful lot of people. It's a fascinating history and a nice stroll down memory lane with Alan Cross, the host of the Ongoing History of New Music. Check it out in your favorite podcast platform. Alan, appreciate the time, as always. Oh, no problem.
That's Alan Cross, the host of the Ongoing History of Mu- New Music and a fantastic podcast as he uh, goes through, well, the, the history of music, not just new, a lot of old stuff in there as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Over the last number of days, you will have heard that we have been giving away tickets to Illumi, a dazzling world of lights by Cavalia. It is a tremendous display that is going to really thrill the young and the old and we are pleased to be joined by the creator and artistic director at Illumi, Normand Latourelle here on Good Morning Hamilton. Normand, good morning, how are you? Yeah, very good, good morning. Tell us about Illumi. Well, Illumi is the biggest um, sound, light and multimedia show in the world. Um, it is uh, located in Mississauga and uh, you can witness uh, 13 different settings, I would say. Uh, we're talking about uh, about 20 million lights that decorating about uh, 20,000 sculpture. Um, in the main, in the center of it, you can see a, a light of tree that peaks at the, uh, it, I mean, it's the equivalent on the height of the uh, Statue of Liberty in New York. So it's about 155 feet high has um, over um, 140,000 LED light just in the tree and it's all programmable. And then it's it's really um, like a journey throughout uh, an imaginary world uh, where you know you just walk through different scenes and every scene has its own personality. When you're creating this vision and this this immersive experience, how, how did you do it? What what came to mind? Was it was it uh, jotting a bunch of notes down, uh, taking some some photos of some real life things? How did you make this thing come alive? Yeah, there's no one way. It's uh, everything that come to my mind. Of course, you know we searching, we looking, and we bringing picture, and we just you know build world uh, in, from my inspiration. Um, as you probably know, I, I'm the creator of the, the show called Cavalia. Cavalia has been touring for 20 years almost. We stopped during the pandemic, of course. But, um, uh, you know, one day uh, I wanted, Cavalia was performed under a huge white big tent top, but there was no signage on it. So one day I wanted to associate the show with horses, Cavalia it was show with horses. So I, I built a huge sculpture to put in front of the big top with light. And that's the first time it was in Chicago. And that's the first time I, I just realized that light sculpture could talk, uh, could speak. Uh, you know, I always like from my time I was at Cirque du Soleil and then Cavalia, I, will, I, I always been with live artists. But what I like with Illumi, of course, there are sculpture. But the artists are the visitors who make the sculpture become almost alive. I mean, mm-hmm. they just it's just fun to watch all the entire family. I mean, you can't be four years old, two years old, 82 years old, 92 years old. I mean, <laughs> everybody really, you know, lovers. I mean, we have once one part of set, I call it the tunnel of love. Um, it, it's 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 a long tunnel where you just go and you take picture. And uh, there's already some proposal in there. <laughs> it is very romantic, you know. So we're really, we have dinosaur, articulated dinosaur. We have, I mean, it's really different world 
that I've created from um, my imagination, of course, with the team. But it's it's just to every time a good idea pop up, I say, okay, let's do it. Let's mm-hmm. let's try to realize a place where people will just go and have fun. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Norman Latourelle. He is the Alumi creator and artistic director. If you want to get tickets to the show, Alumi.com, I-L-L-U-M-I.com is the website to go to. Do you have a favorite Alumi universe? Uh, it's the audience, tell you the truth. Really? Okay. My, my favorite uh, universe is when I see all those people having fun. It's all the smile I see. This is my my best universe. I wouldn't present something that I, I dislike. I didn't want to be into intellectualize too much. I just wanted to be like you go to Disney. For me, it's the equivalent. You know, I, I visited Disney. I was lucky. I was 12 years old. And I still remember that moment where I've seen all those, especially the one, one of the set is called It's a Small World. And I just had that in mind. And and, and since today, I say, okay, let's recreate a global site where it become a small world, become a big world. Well, you've certainly created a big, bright, and amazing world, and it's called Alumi, A Dazzling World of Lights by Cavalia. You can check it out uh, in Mississauga, alumi.com to get your tickets. Norman, this is going to be an exceptional experience for many people. Thank you very much for your time today, and good luck with us. Thank you very much, Rick. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.